0: Father, we ask you for your deep wisdom here. First Peter chapter three, we're continuing a series that we began uh, right after Easter. I'll be reading in verse eight of first Peter three. Finally, all of you have unity of spirit sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary repay with a blessing. For this is that it is for this that you were called, that you might inherit a blessing. For those who desire life and desire to see goods, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them speak, seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we pray that you would give your blessing to the reading of your word today. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts your word, your divine word, a mere mortal word will not do today. Lord, that you would carry what you have to say to us to the farthest corners of our hearts. Help us, Father, to listen. Help us to hear your voice speaking to us. We count on you, Holy Spirit, today. And we pray through Christ. Amen. So we are returning to our series this morning. Uh, actually, after a extended hiatus, we had we had a lot of other things going on in the life of our congregation. Our series is Faith Under Pressure. Today's passage in chapter 3 of 1 Peter is, is one that speaks actually directly to the pressure point felt by the recipients of Peter's letter. You see, they lived in a society where Christianity was a fledgling, small, relatively unknown, even at kind of appearing powerless movement. And to admit in a public setting that you followed the teachings of Jesus would at least be embarrassing and at most The kind of thing that could put your life in danger. Talk about faith under pressure. The recipients of this letter knew exactly what that was about. So Peter is speaking into this pressure here. He is teaching the church how to function in this unfriendly environment. And I wonder if these are the things that he learned in his earlier days in Jerusalem. Peter was one of the earliest leaders, really the rock upon when Jesus built the church. He said to Peter, you are the rock. I will build my church upon this rock. And I wonder if these are the things that he learned in those days in Jerusalem when the first church faced Jewish and Roman persecution. But then also at the same time experienced phenomenal growth as hundreds and hundreds of people were being added to their number. Is it possible that he's speaking from experience, the experience of those early days when the presence of the Holy Spirit was just palpable and they still basked in the white, hot glow of the resurrection of the Son of God. I think it is. I think it is possible that he's reflecting on this as he's talking to these churches to whom he's writing. So he tells them, hey, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Here in verse eight, actually, there is a list of five adjectives, and they're just listed, one right after another. Even though in the, in the NRSV, the version I just read this passage in, they have been turned into nouns. <laughs> actually, Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message, better captures the grammatical sense of the original language. He says, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. In one sense, this is not what you'd expect. These people were living in a a hostile environment among neighbors who were likely looking for ways to put them down or even hurt them. You might expect the advice given to them to be more along the lines of get your act together. Form your arguments well. Go to battle for your rights. Stand up for yourselves. This is what you might expect. This is the kind of thing we might hear today if we're under pressure. But no, this is not the kind of thing you find in 1 Peter or anywhere in the New Testament either in the teachings of Jesus or from the apostles. And I think this is really important for, uh, and really relevant for us today. I suspect this will become even more so as our culture is becoming less and less Christian. Basically, going to battle with the culture. Trying to fight for what some see is lost ground is just not taught in scripture. It's not there. What is taught is something more nuanced, and to be frank, a bit more subversive. Do you know that word, subversive? Sometimes we think it's a a bad thing, but Actually, subversive can also be really interesting. The word means literally effecting change from the bottom up. Friends, this is more the Christian model of how to approach what some have termed the culture wars. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that followers of Jesus disengage from the public forum to cease getting involved, uh, to stop running for office, seeking to do what's right in leadership and in government. No, these are important things. These are things that are, remain important for believers in Jesus as well. But what Peter is talking about here is not so much about what we do as how we do it. He's talking about who we are to be in those settings. So when you're among family or friends who do not share your views on faith, when you're at school or at work and you sense some discomfort when the subject of God comes up or when the church is mentioned and there kind of is a chill in the air and you know that there's some disagreement in the room, how will you act? Who will you be? Look again at this list of adjectives. Agreeable. Sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble. And he goes on, following close to the kind of things that Jesus, the teaching that Jesus gave. Peter says, Do not repay evil for evil, abuse for abuse. But on the contrary, Repay with a blessing. Does that sound familiar at all? Well, Jesus said this in his most famous sermon. You'll know these words. You have heard it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, do what? Turn the other also. And if anybody wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. It's from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. So here's one aspect of this I wanted us to notice this morning. As disciples of Jesus, you and I are called to be a blessing in this world we are called to be a blessing. Even when, especially when we're abused or when we encounter evil. Now I know this does not seem to make sense. (laughs) It doesn't follow. But that's one of the reasons it's so powerful. And the results can be surprising. We had a next door neighbor in the 80s. Her name was Mrs. Lindy. She and her husband lived we, um, really close. Our house was, uh, we lived next door to the church. We had The church had two buildings. And we lived in one house and their house was right next door. So our back windows were like 10 feet away. You could see from our back bedrooms into, into their room. And their driveway kind of came into our carport and so, you, you know, in order to get out of their driveway, in and out of their driveway, our carport had to be kind of kind of just, you know, the car couldn't be sticking out very far. And it all came out into the church's alley. So there's there always cars and always people everywhere. Uh, Mrs. Lindy didn't go to church. She wasn't involved in the church in any way. And the, our first introduction to Mrs. Lindy was um, when she came out one day and our car was sticking out a little bit too far from the carport. We used to put cans of soda pop in the front for our youth group in the front of our carport, and sometimes our car would stick out, and because um, we bought the soda pop by the pallet, we we drank a lot of soda pop back then, too much. But our car was sticking out, and she said some angry words to Chris. Why well, you should have your car there? Because I can't get in and out of my. What if we had an emergency? And, And all you church people, and we just really discovered that Mrs. Lindy was kind of an angry woman. She was kind of scary. She was demanding. She wanted everything perfect, it seemed. She never smiled. And we could just tell that she just kind of wondered who all these church people were. Were they weirdos? That's that's how it came across. So that was like 1980 and then slowly slowly as our family began to grow we started to have a kids and you know she began to soften a little bit as she saw the kids and we would always wave and we'd always you know be treated, try to be really friendly sometimes maybe we'd take her cookies but it was more just kind of we'd see them and we'd smile our little girls used to wave at her from the back window Um, They would kind of stand up on the changing table, and they'd wave, and she'd wave back, you know. (laughs) Our pastor used to talk to us about taking the offense of love. Instead of being defensive, take the offense of love. And so we did this with Mrs. Lindy. The whole relationship, after about a year or two, began to change. We smiled a lot. We always asked how she was doing. We talked about the weather, you know, i But, and she found out that maybe, you know, the church people, yeah, they might be a little bit weird, but we were harmless weirdos. And, you know, so over the years, we actually became quite close to Mrs. Lindy. Eventually her husband passed away and we were able to kind of be with her during that and kind of became her surrogate family next door. We got to know her family, all of whom lived in another part of the country far away. We were trusted, so much so that one day her daughter called me to check in on her. She wasn't answering her phone. And I did, and I found that she had passed away in the night. And I remember that evening sitting in her home, just Mrs. Lindy and me. (laughs) She was gone, actually. And I was waiting for the funeral home to come. And I remember thinking, wow, we have come a long way since those first days of your car is blocking my driveway. (laughs) It's amazing what happens when you're treated badly, but you choose to love instead of react in the same way you're treated. It's amazing what happens. Peter is asking these early followers of Jesus to love, to be compassionate. To be sympathetic and humble, especially when they encounter resistance or suspicion or even abuse. In these situations, the Holy Spirit can work mightily. If we listen to what Peter is talking about here, I believe in this. So we've been looking at this passage from the perspective of interpersonal relationships. One-on-one. Which is appropriate, I think. But we need to remember that Peter is writing here to the church as well. His first words to them in this summing up section are, Have unity of spirit. Did you see that in verse 8? Have unity of spirit. The word he uses in Greek here can also be translated as like minded And as one Greek scholar puts it, I quote, an inward unity of attitude in spiritual things which makes schism unthinkable. In other words, there is nothing that will ever come between us. Unity of spirit. Deciding that you will stick together forever. I believe what Peter is talking about here is more than a nostalgic feeling of togetherness, the kind of thing my, my youth group, when I was a youth pastor, our youth group used to um, express this. You know, They'd link arms at the end of youth group on Sunday night, and we would sing, friends are friends forever. You know that song? Friends are friends forever, if the Lord's the Lord of them. <gasps> you know? And a friend will not say never. And We, just, we cry and sing it. And, You know, most of those kids, to be honest, most of those kids drifted apart and never talked to or see each other these days. It was a a wonderful time, don't get me wrong, but it was more of a feeling of nostalgia than it was really a lifelong decision. No, Peter is teaching about something much deeper here, a level of commitment that the church of Jesus Christ might stick together. Literally, (laughs) no matter what. If there are problems, work them out. Disagreements, talk them out. Failures, sins, misunderstandings, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. But one thing that was never on the table as an option was, well, perhaps we should leave the church. You know, here's the kind of attitude I think Peter is putting forward here. When Chris and I decided to get married 40 years ago, we, I remember having this conversation. We agreed that we would never, ever even talk about divorce. We'd never talk about it we would always do what we needed to do to have unity of spirit in our relationship. It was just talking about divorce is something we'd never even, we wouldn't ever go there. Folks, I don't know if you realize it, but Mountain View Presbyterian Church might not be here today if it weren't for some key people, people who are in this room right now, who felt this way about this church There were some tough times, especially between 1991 and 94. Do I have that right? Before before we were here. We, We were here in 1996, but there were some really tough times. I've heard about them. A lot of folks left. About half of the congregation walked. But those who stayed here were absolutely living by what this scripture passage is teaching us, I think. They were agreeable, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble. When they were spoken to harshly, they did not retaliate. They were a people of blessing. And you know what? They have inherited a blessing, as all of us have as we come together in a gathering like this this morning. We are inheriting a blessing, the blessing that is a result of some folks who are live here in this room, the way that they stuck with this church. We live in a time when almost everything in our lives is disposable. Everything from clothing to cars to, sadly, relationships. And if we're not careful, we will throw away that which is most precious. In the same way you would put your most valuable possessions in a safe deposit box, do the same with your relationship with your church. Value it. Decide that you will have unity of spirit by embracing the mindset that Peter teaches here. Look around at your, at your closest relationships here in your family, wherever it is. Look around at those relationships today and decide now that you will stick together forever. You will inherit a blessing. Not only is this who we are to be in a culture that's increasingly post-Christian, but it's also a wonderful way to be built together as the church of Jesus Christ. God is building something, always building something, and we can choose to participate in that building. And one of the ways we do it is to stick together no matter what. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.